Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we talk about investing. <laughs> what a genius what, thing to start with. What do we with. talk about, Dad? Yeah, we talk about investing. Here, let me do it for once. Okay, go. Here on the Invested Podcast, we talk about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger style value investing, which is a strategy that is about finding wonderful companies at great prices that are on sale and then buying those companies when they're on sale, keeping them probably forever and only selling if the reason to buy it has changed. Very good. And the reason that we do that is because professional investors almost all cannot do this kind of investing. They almost all cannot do this kind of investing. Almost none of the professional investors can do this kind of investing. Okay. Which is always the question, right? The people go, well, why if, if Warren Buffett is so smart, why doesn't all the fun, why don't the fund managers all do that? And the reason is, is because they can't do it. The, you have to have total control of your capital in order to stay patient and wait for really good deals to come along. Oh, it's the waiting part. It's the waiting part they can't do. They're, yeah. they're forced by the people who invest with them to constantly be trying to make better returns than the market and are graded on a quarterly basis. Buffett says if you can't be graded on, an, on a five-year basis, not quarterly, that would be 20 quarters. If you can't do it on a five-year basis, then you can't really do this kind of investing. Because five years it, equals 20 quarters. Got five it. times four, yeah. Five times four, okay, that took me a minute. So that'd be 20 quarters worth of grades, and no fund managers can wait 20 quarters unless they have total control of their capital. And this is why Buffett started Berkshire, or bought Berkshire, and turned it into his vessel for doing because investing. Because it's not a traditional fund. It's a no. private, or sorry, I always call it a private company because I think of it as being his company, mm. but that's not right. It's a public company, but he buys private and public companies right. and does investing in the public stock market as well through that vehicle of that company. Right, and the reason that he uses that vehicle instead of a fund is because in a fund, um, the investors can ask for their money back and you have to sell stuff and give them their money back. And Buffett doesn't like to sell stuff. So as, an, as a company that's public, all you can do is sell the stock, but it doesn't affect what Buffett's doing at all because the money's only coming from some other investor out there that wants to buy the stock. Yeah. Whereas his investments are the cash that Berkshire has. So the only people who can do this kind of investing are people who have total control of their capital like Buffett and Munger do with investors or like Guy Spear or Manesh Pabrai, Dan Loeb, people they, like that. Wait, but they have traditional funds. And they and they do are, are pressured to invest. You have a traditional fund. Yeah, but I'm I the people who are in my fund are all its students. They understand how I'm doing this. So I think then the key is is it sounds like you can actually do it through a traditional fund. People do it. Oh you could but you sure. have to have investors who totally get that there are going to be a lot of years, maybe with low returns or no returns, and then you're waiting for those things to those companies to make their turnarounds. Yeah, I mean, in my fund, we've had very, very low returns for years, just because you know, ever since about 2015, I've been pretty nervous that this market's overpriced, and it's gotten much, much pricier in that interim. But if you can't be patient, if you can't wait, then this kind of investing isn't for you. The cool thing is. Most of you can wait. You can sit and do nothing. Nobody's pressuring you to put your money someplace. Yeah, I mean, I have to say you've convinced me that this is something I am uniquely, I and like everybody else like me, yeah. are uniquely situated to do on our own. 
Which is why we wrote our book, Dad. Can I, I plug our book? Yeah, plug the and book. And guess what, you guys, for you watching. By the way, we're also uh, broadcasting this on Facebook Live. So everybody listening to it as a podcast later on, um, if you want to go check out the video of it, you can find it on the Rule 1 Investing Facebook page or on my Facebook page under Danielle Town. And this is our book, which I know you guys have probably seen the cover of already because we've been putting it out. But... This book has our words in it, which is insane to me. And I put up a video. I'm just showing you a book. Does this sound a little strange to, to anybody else that we would have to say that the book does have words in it? It has our words in it, Dad. Right. Before, it was just the book cover with somebody else's book inside it. No, that's actually true. Like, we showed up to our publisher... <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know, like months ago, yep. and they had this cover on a book, and we were like, "Oh my god, the book's printed!" And they go, uh, no. "No, no, no, it's just somebody else's book in there. Right. We just put your jacket, your book jacket, on it." So it was, um, yeah, that was a little weird. But so these are our words. But these are our words, and I put up a video on um, my Instagram and on my Facebook and everything. Um, Danielle Town Instagram, guys, I do Instagram now. I'm like back on. Um, and I have Facebook now. I'm doing stuff. Um, and I put up this video of me opening the package that HarperCollins sent to me. Oh. And yeah. I was just in, I was basically in shock. I was just basically, I, I, I like had to like literally take a bath afterwards and like. <laughs> I watched the video. And like figure out what, I was just, I was completely overwhelmed. Like it was a classic case of pure overwhelm, too much heavy emotion that we here, I, I mean I, we've been working on this for so long and like I can tell here, you and even now I find it difficult so so then I get to Atlanta last night I said dad did you he picks me up at the airport I said dad did you see my sweet post about our book and you you go yeah you looked kind of like totally uninterested <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing <laughs> This is what I thought. She was overwhelmed, right? But I didn't know that. I'm just watching the video. And now I know what really overwhelmed looks like. It doesn't look like it looks in the movies where someone goes, oh, I'm completely overwhelmed. Oh, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, no, That's I not overwhelmed. Overwhelmed is what Danielle did. Watch your video. It looks like this. It looks like, oh my God. Dad. The podcasters don't know what we're doing. Oh, I'm staring at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> doing nothing. That's what really overwhelmed looks like. It's what you feel like inside. But the thing is, I think a lot of people can relate to this. Sure. Like we've at various points in our lives had these big events, you know, a wedding, the birth of a child, the birth of a book, um, like Should getting into the school you want to get into, like your kid having some huge event happen that was really difficult, you know, like it's, it's a feeling of like this thing you've wanted for so long has happened. And it's, how do you even wrap your mind around something like that becoming reality? I know. It's well, I'll hard. tell you how, how hopefully it gets wrapped is when you, I don't know if you remember when your sister and and you came down to New York City, I wanted you to come to just see my first book in the bookstore window on Fifth Avenue. Okay, wait, we need to back up. You're talking about rule number one, yep. your book, rule back number one, when it was published, you mm -hmm. said, come to New York. Yep, yeah. and you and your sister came down there, and there was the book, stacked of books in the window of this big bookstore yeah, on Fifth Avenue, New York. 
it was then that I felt like it was kind of real. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Not until then. Mm-hmm. How interesting. Yeah. I Why mean, was so? You didn't really have any reaction to like getting the actual book. I don't in your remember hand. any reaction to the actual book in oh, my that's hand so at all. Funny. I don't remember a reaction to you know doing PR, doing television. All of that was just sort of fantasy world. Huh. But when you and your sister looked at it in the window, and I looked at it in the window, and I'm there with you guys, and it's it like got in a real. regular bookstore that yeah. people can purchase it. Yeah. Just and then it got people real. you don't know purchasing the just book. Just sitting there looking at that book. <laughs> it's yeah. real. And then I got deflated immediately. We walked down the street to the next block, and we'd been doing a lot of PR on TV. So a lot of people in New York had seen a lot of the TV shows, I guess. Anyway, we start across a crosswalk, and this guy is making a turn in front of us in a car. He stops in the crosswalk and <laughs> rolls his window down and goes, Phil Town! Yes. Like that. That literally happened. And I'm looking at him in shock, and the girls are standing next to me, and then he drives away. And Elena looked at me and went, Dad, you have fan. <laughs> Do you remember? Totally. We were like, it's your one fan on My earth. One. And he found you and he then he drove away. In the crosswalk. <laughs> so for 10 years, we've been laughing about dad's fan. Oh, my fan. And maybe maybe your fan will come back one day. I hope we can see him again. That was quite exciting. <laughs> Let's, we need to talk about investing because a lot's yeah. going on. We've been having guest speakers Which and all is, this. It's been so great to have Amanda Steinberg and Sherry Salata were on for the last two episodes. But honestly, we've been missing talking about what we usually do on here, which is... Straight up, like, how the heck do you invest? Yeah, so let's do So we're getting back to our normal thing now, which we're really excited about. And obviously, you know, we're still going to be talking about the book and stuff because that is about how do you invest on your own. Um, but really, we just want to chat about the market a little bit today. If you haven't done it already, go pre-order the book because it drives it uh, up on the New York Times bestseller list. And pre-order it from every bookstore in America. <laughs> 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 it's called Invested, just Invested. like the podcast. And um, if you go to ruleoninvesting.com or danielletown.com, you'll see all the links about where to buy it. Get it on Amazon. You can get it from your local bookstore, which we would love. And uh, thank you to everyone who has been buying it. A lot of you have bought it. So we really appreciate it. And we're trying not to inundate all of you too much with information about it. But um, obviously, it's you know pretty much the biggest thing in my life right now. So let's move on. Fine. From the biggest thing. Fine. And let's talk about how I've been buying clothes lately. How have you been buying clothes lately? Well, I've been buying clothes lately through this new company called Stitch Fix. You've been buying clothes through Stitch Fix? Yes. They have men's clothes? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. And I don't even know how they got a hold of me. I think they just hit me with an email or something, an email Hmm. broadcast. I'd certainly never heard of them. You're using Stitch Fix. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I've gotten that. my second quarterly pile of clothes. So tell the people what Stitch Fix is then. Right. I've, I've never used it because I don't live in America and I can't get these fantastic... Um, it's funny, whenever you like live somewhere, you always wish you had the other stuff. So like <laughs> when you live in America, you're like, oh, the Europeans have like the best face creams and the best like whatevers and the best food. And now that I'm in Europe, I'm like, oh, America has all the best like delivery systems and fantastic things that arrive at your house and Amazon Prime. Well, it is really interesting. They got a hold of me somehow and they made a good pitch somehow. I don't remember. Okay, but what is Stitch Fix? And Stitch Fix is a company that is a personal shopper. 
What does that mean? That means they try to go, they have me go online and identify what I like. Okay. And then so they kind have, of make like a profile of like what style you yeah. like. And then they either have a real person or a bot, I don't know which, who learns from what I'm saying and mm-hmm. makes adjustments over time to find me clothes that, that I will buy. And then they go out using that profile and they they have arrangements with clothing manufacturers. And depending on sort of what level of price level I want to play at, mm-hmm. they buy clothing in my sizes and they send it to me in a box. And do you pick the exact items or do they then make I, guesses? Oh, no, no, no. They before, make guesses before. They make guesses. So oh, what yeah. you receive is a surprise. Yeah. Okay. And I, I unpack the box, try everything on and send, they have a bag, throw in anything that doesn't fit or I don't like and put it back in the box and off it goes. It goes back to them. Question. Mm. Isn't there a thing, and I sort of vaguely remember this from hearing about it, that if you buy nothing, you pay some sort of fee, but if you keep like one item, then you don't pay that fee? I don't know because I've kept everything they sent me. <laughs> <laughs> they were nailing it. They just got it so right. That's funny. They sent me like lumberjack got, looking clothes to start with. town style down. They nailed it. I got, I got a couple of shirts. I got a sweater that I didn't even think I would wear, and then I wore it once. And Melissa really liked it, and it oh. looked pretty good. And so well, I kept it. Well, then you're keeping that. Yep, I kept it. And um, some nice jeans that I'd never tried that type before, and I really liked the way they fit. Or It's like a deep blue jean. You know, I could wear more formal stuff. Cool. And um, so I went, okay, well, I'm keeping everything. And then they asked me some questions about what else I liked and all that, oh. and they sent me the next thing, which included a pair of shoes. Wow. Which was really bold of them, and a pair of shoes I would have never looked at. They were kind of like a, um, uh, what do they call it? Where you you've got a jacket, it's made out of leather, and it's but it's rough. What is that? Suede. Suede. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. They're like suede shoes, but I don't think they're made out of animal skin. I think they're a, a, a synthetic suede. Like vegan leather. Yeah, vegan That's leather. That's cool way is to really? talk about it. Yeah. All right. Well, vegan leather suede was a little bit of a high top. No boot. animals were harmed in the making of this leather. I. There you go. So. And do you like them? I like the shoes and they fit my big feet, which was amazing. So I and then I they gave me a like a another sweater I would have never bought. It's like a button buttons down to about here. And it's like a really wide, low neck, no collar. And I put it on. It looks really good with shirts. So basically, it's a whole bunch of stuff that you are enjoying receiving because it's stuff you wouldn't have picked out and in I a store. And I didn't spend any time yeah. looking. No time. That's the key. I love that about it. It's like. They're kind of nailing it, and I can go online and correct it a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm in. I mean, they send socks, they send stuff. Cool. Yeah. So I really liked it. So you know, as you do, if you're an investor and you like something that you're doing with a company, and you think, "Wow, this is something I like in the world. This is something that other people might like as well," <clears throat> you start to take a look at it. And son of a gun, Stitch Fix went public. So you last told July. me that right before we started this. I had no clue. Yeah. No clue that they were public. I mean, I knew that they were one of the big names. So you know there's more than just Stitch Fix in this well, world of, like, we're going to send you stuff and you decide if you keep it or not. Well, of course, as I'm starting to dig into it, I find out that Nordstrom's has their thing, that they'll do personal shopping for you. But I don't know of any that direct competitors of Stitch Fix. Oh, my God. There's so many. This is like... And I haven't done any research on it, and I, I don't use them, so I'm not going to know the names. But this, um, there's, there must be some term for this kind of thing where they send the boxes regularly. But there is a box for everything. 
There is a pet treat box. There is a pet clothing items box. Uh-huh. There is accessories box. There is get ready for your wedding box. There are every kind of like snack boxes. There are just so many. And there's some that are just for men, which is why I was surprised that Stitch Fix was competing in that world as well. So now dad's checking out online um, what other options there are around here, which is a little hard to find sometimes. So yeah, I mean, people, Birchbox is one for makeup that I, I think is for makeup that I know people use a lot. So there's a lot of them. And it's such a good way to handle this sort of business model. Let's see, there you go. And then Lafleur Trunk Club, that's a big one, Trunk Club. Um, right, so this, what I've done here, just to give you an idea how to go about the process of digging in, um, the first thing is to assume that by the time a company goes public, it's pretty well known that they've found some kind of niche and other companies are gonna jump into it. These, in fact, the company that goes public might not have been the first one yeah, I don't know if niche. they were the first one, but <clears throat> so the, they became very well known quite quickly. So Danielle nails right off the bat, because you're really getting good at this, that you're going to look to see who else is in it. And maybe somebody else is better that I should try. Now, I've been through this little rodeo lots and lots of times as an investor, but I've been through this specific stuff in a box rodeo. What do you mean? Well, we order meals in a box. Oh, yeah, but that's, kind, we of, that's with, kind of a different thing. Well, we started with Blue Apron. Yeah. And Blue Apron went public, and I took a good look at it, and I thought, you know what? First off, the price is nuts for where they put the public price, and that often happens when companies go public, sorry. And then um, second, I didn't think they had a moat mm -hmm. that I could see that we were interested in switching to two or three of other companies just because we wanted to see what else people had, and it's nothing to switch at all. I would love to do a study on Blue Apron because I find them very interesting. And we're not prepared for that today, but maybe next week we could do that. We could do it because they have really crashed. Oh, have they? The people who invested in that company are getting killed. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I bet it's the moat thing because I and think it's... you're right. It's so easy to switch away from these things. I mean, yeah. if Stitch Fix one month sent you a box filled with stuff you hate, you might... Google it up, find a competitor and try that. It takes you 10 minutes to set up. Exactly. If that. Now, Stitch Fix has an interesting potential moat. Okay, tell me. Right? So you know the moats, right? There's brand, switch, um, what okay, else? Okay, wait, let's think. Okay. Brand, mm -hmm. that's the most obvious one that right. everyone thinks of. Switching, which is when it's hard to switch away. Right. Um, toll bridge, which is when you have like a government monopoly, monopoly right? or I guess non-government too, but right. generally you talk about government stuff. Um, okay. Secrets. Secrets. Secrets, which is patented secret stuff, trade secrets. Yes, that's, that's good. There's another one. And price. Price. And then there's half of one. And then there's half of one, which is a subset of switching, which is the network, network effects. Effect. Which, which is, is a when Facebook thing. Yeah, which I sort of don't totally buy, which is why it's a half one. Right. Um, because it's actually very easy to switch, but you kind of need like a critical mass to all switch at the same right. time. Right. You sort of just don't want to, but you're perfectly willing to. It's not like Coca-Cola where you don't want to switch and they can come up with other products all day long and Coke has a hundred year history of people not wanting to switch. Yeah. Facebook I mean, sorry, Facebook, but if Trust somebody me. came along, 
Facebook is looking at the cautionary tale of Friendster constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're buying all these companies, in my opinion, to Mm -hmm. try to prevent themselves from being able to be switched away from. Mm -hmm. It's really smart. It's probably the only way they could do it. Yep. Well, you know, this company has a maybe moat going. Obviously, they try to build a brand moat by doing a really good job. But those are very easy to switch away from, a brand moat. What is harder is a switch moat which Stitch Fix is trying to build. Okay, tell me about that. And what they're doing is they're trying to know their customer really, really well. with a, And they're not telling me what they know about me. So the more stuff I order, the better they're honing in on what I like and anticipating what I like. Oh. And, and then after, I would think after, if I really like these guys and they're really good at their job, <clears throat> after a year of this, they may have me nailed so well that it would be a little bit painful to start that process again. Yeah, I got you. That might be a moat that they could I don't could know build. if I buy that. I'm not sure I buy it either. <laughs> because, But I'm sure that's what said, they're selling. As I said, the <laughs> second they send you a box filled with stuff you hate, you start to think, oh, all that information actually isn't worth anything. And that's the catch. So when we're thinking about um, a moat, what we like are companies that are making the same product over and over again, mm-hmm. right? And they don't have to be so genius all the time. See, when you're building information about a customer, you hopefully are are being able to retain that customer because you're really smart at figuring out what they want. But Coca-Cola doesn't have to do that. It just has a product and it just keeps going out the door. McDonald's doesn't have to do that. They change very, very slowly. Right, Chipotle changes very slowly. So one of the really good things about buying a company, or one of the great things you want to look for when you're buying a company, is a company that changes slowly. They don't have to be super creative. Yeah, but you've 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 made a leap here. You've switched, you've changed the moats that you're talking about. I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so you've gone from a company that ostensibly has a switching moat, if anything, mm. and you've switched to talking about companies that have brand moats where it's not even an issue about whether or not people can switch. Of course, anybody can stop buying Cokes anytime they want. It's, it's true. So maybe what Stitch... I did, I did jump. Yeah, you didn't did. Didn't I? Maybe what Stitch Fix needs to work on is their brand is acknowledge that anybody can switch away anytime they want, just like Coke, just like McDonald's, and work on their brand mode. But they have to get really strong in order brand to Brand modes are really brand tough. Brand modes are tough. Because you you don't really don't have a brand mode until people are thinking in terms of your brand as a category. Yeah. So I think in terms of Coke. Yeah. I think in terms of, of Harleys or hogs for motorcycles. I think in terms of, you know, ram trucks for pickups. And things it's like actually that. a really interesting part of intellectual property law, the idea of generic trademarks, because mm. well, you actually can't have a generic trademark. That, that does not exist. And so companies like that, like classic example is Band-Aids. Like, what do you call the thing that you put on a cut? A Band-Aid. Is there any other name for it? No. It's even like hard to think of what you no, would call it. No, it's a a dressing. So what it a says, wound dressing. what it says on the box, I think, if I remember <laughs> right, is adhesive bandage, which they put prominently on their box because they're trying to get people not to call this a band aid to the point where it becomes generic, and then they no longer have a trademark. What? 
and anybody can use that term. I don't know if Band-Aid has become generic or not, but it's a very real thing. So Kleenex, another one. What do you call the thing? Did they lose their trademark? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Or Xerox. Or what? Excuse me. Xerox. Xerox. Yeah, that's another one. That's a great example. Yeah. Kleenex, Xerox, Band-Aid. Um, there have been a few, and I'm, I'm like thinking back to my law school intellectual property class on this, so I'd have to look it up. But it's a really interesting thing to know that these companies that have achieved such incredible brands, so like post-it notes, there's another one, um, ha- actually have to try to get people not to use their brand name That's crazy. at the risk of becoming generic. Crazy. Crazy the way law works. But back no, to but Stitch Fix. No, but it makes fix. sense, right? Stitch Fix isn't there yet. We don't think of no, personal stitch. shoppers and, oh, Stitch Fix me. Yeah, no, right? that no. doesn't happen. So right now, the first thing we do is we're going to go see what's the competition. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to understand a company unless we really grok, kind of get their product really in a deep level. Uh-huh. And that means we use it almost entirely. It's because we use it and we like it. So back to the masters, right? Charlie and Warren. Warren... Loves Coca-Cola, so he buys Coke. He's bought Pepsi in the past and was a big fan of Pepsi, mm-hmm. right? Was he not owns, a big fan of Pepsi. He was at that point. Oh, he time. was. Sure, but he likes Coke better. Okay. And he bought Dairy Queen because he's a big fan of their product, right? Yeah. So it's it's the personal experience of the product that really helps you get a sense of if that product's going to last and be really special. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, those are the great products to own. We'd rather own chewing gum company than a computer company because computer companies change and have to be creatively destructive and constantly renewing themselves whereas a chewing good company just has to a chewing gum company just has to make gum and they make it the same way all the time yeah right yeah hey we're at the halfway point of this episode and i want to take a second to invite you guys over to investedpodcast.com on that site you can continue the conversation and you can get our show notes. And I also have a special offer for my podcast listeners right there on the site. So head over there. And we hope you're enjoying the podcast. Now back to Invested. Yeah. Now the catch is computer companies go through these bumps in the road and they go on sale regularly. Maybe if you can figure out what they're worth. Chewing gum companies don't go on sale very often. Yeah. And also how do they grow? It's hard to grow a chewing gum they company. They don't have to grow if you can buy it cheap enough. If you can buy it cheap enough, all right, right. fair enough. And so what Buffett does and what we teach is that you wait for a big recession to come along, put everything, including really good chewing gum companies on sale, and then you buy it cheap. And that's how you do it. So when we're looking at this stuff, the first thing we need to do is, do we really like our company the best? Is Stitch Fix really the best one? So I've had six months of experience with Stitch Fix. I've had no experience with their competitors. And Wait, now, can you go up here? Because this looks old to me. Can mm-hmm. you see what date it is? Oh, no, it's new. Okay, that's, never mind. That's like a month ago. Okay. And so you, below you'll find more details on how Floor, LaFleur, Trunk Club, Stitch Fix, and Moda Box enlist a personal stylist. So now I'm going to read about how they actually do it. Trunk Club pairs you with a personal stylist and you get a digital preview of the items and take five days to try everything on. What sets it apart from a clothing subscription service is there's no monthly or quarterly or annual fee. I don't know that I'm paying a fee. I don't, I don't know. At least I don't think so. Okay, so M.M. Lafleur, born as a powerful way for professional women to outsource their workwear concerns to professionals who get it. 
So um, you get... So that one's for work clothes. For work clothes for women. Stitch Fix is more about style. Right. So fill out your style profile on Stitch Fix, a personal stylist to handpick your stuff. Um, and then you're asked for a pickup delivery date and you'll be charged a $20 styling That's fee. That's what I thought. If you buy anything, the 20 bucks is applied as credit to your purchase. Yes. If you keep all five, you'll get 25% off. Oh, oh I didn't look, even know been that. Oh, look, you've been getting 25% off. Hey, <laughs> keep on rocking. Here's one personal reporter's experience. He thought that Stitch Fix might have been the best men's clothing subscription service that he's tried. That's cool. And then for women, here's Modabox. So there's four things right there. And then I also read in another journal article. Um, by the way, reading is kind of fundamental to being a good investor. You don't read a lot, you're probably not going to like being an investor. You need to read a lot. you got to enjoy getting information. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think about it too much like, oh, i got to read a lot. That sounds kind of Yeah, you're just it's like scanning the news. Scanning the news, getting info, like finding it, like hunting it down. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so now you've got fun. the info. Right, so now that's, I've got the info. That's the landscape according to this article. There's lots more besides these, by the way. But Right. Okay, so you've done... 30 seconds of research. 30 seconds, and already I know that at least one reporter... <laughs> agrees with you. Agrees that this is really good. <laughs> all right, all right. Plus, they've gone public, which tells me something also. You know, that there yeah. are a lot of investment they bankers out there. That <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure, that's not a scary thing. Because yeah, it means they want to grow. They're trying to grow, yeah. and you need to front load the growth money, and you got to get some money. And I have that. to say, as a startup attorney, there are very few startups these days that are IPOing. I mean, back in like the dot com boom, everybody was IPOing, and we thought it was normal, and then they all totally crashed and lost everything. And so in this market, it's much, much harder to get a company to actually be able to do an IPO and the bankers are much more wary of it. So it's it's very interesting that, first of all, what happened to Blue Apron, which is why I want to talk about right. it. Because again, there are just so few of these startups that have IPO'd and now Stitch Fix, which I didn't even know about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are a little nervous about this company because of the Blue Apron problem, right? Sure. I mean, really, can you get people to do this for more than a few months and then they drop out? So the company doesn't have a long enough track record, really. And this is why we don't buy early stage companies usually, um, because we need the, to see the track record of the company over a long period of time. We think 10 years is pretty close to minimum. I have to admit, I bought Chipotle with seven years and I bought Google with about five years. Oh. Um, when they went public, they'd have about four or five years of track record. But there's a few exceptions to that rule. But 10 years, you get to see the company go through a recession. And as Warren loves to say, you, you don't get to see who's swimming naked till the tide goes out. Yeah. So the recessions are what really squeeze a business down to how competitive is it and how well structured is its balance sheet, its cash flow, the things that matter. They can't hide them anymore. They can't hide behind getting more debt. They can't hide behind doing all those things that companies do to, to make themselves look pretty good. And so recessions are real important to see. You know, you look back, and when when when's the last recession? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So we're now nine years in and into our tenth year without a recession. I mean, yeah, that recession lasted a while, right? So. Well, it the recession has a very strict definition. Okay. It's it's defined as um, two quarters of negative growth. Okay. Okay. So. We came out of it relatively quickly. We, we did. had a few. The Great Recession, we came out of it quickly? Yeah, but then we just sat there. 
Uh, so and everybody still nowhere. felt like we were so growth had re, re, recessing right everybody felt like we were assessing okay. and and so growth yeah. had resumed but it resumed at such an anemic level that we've never seen growth resume at that anemic level i think ever in a recession mm -hmm. okay. it was horrible and the reason of course is because um people uh because we, we first off we came this close to going into depression where the banks if the federal government had allowed the the financial companies to fail, then credit would have locked up and companies would have failed one after the other. Okay. And you might not have a job. So you can yeah. thank uh, President Bush and the Secretary of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve for jumping all over it. And then, of course, Bush finished his, finished his term of office right there in the last quarter of his term of office. And Obama continued the aggressive uh, pursuit of, of these policies. Um, but it, it's strychnine and you're taking this poison or it's chemotherapy, I should say, is a better better a metaphor. And you're taking poison to prevent yourself from dying. And that's exactly what we did. And now today, what uh, and what happened with Obama's administration is that they they've tried to find a way to get off the poison. And they, it was very, very difficult, extremely difficult to get off the poison. Um, because getting off the poison means raising interest rates again. Mm. And that would kill the real estate market, mm. would kill jobs. And they were just trying to get going, right? So they did a couple other things that were pretty bad. They, they increased regulations on some like order of magnitude, um, which caused a lot of people to pull back and be afraid to start businesses. Um, taxation was high for corporations and individuals. And as a result, a lot of people just didn't invest. They were just afraid to start businesses. And now you can see what's happened in one year of sort of red meat politics. You've got uh, the no, Trump administration. It was happening way before that. Well, the recovery was happening yeah. for sure. Yeah. But now you you can see the impact of of uh, the administration that is saying, "Look, we're we're really pro business. We're not going to we're going to strip regulations. They're tearing down regulations, okay. which really help, and they also lowered taxation massively." And we went straight out and hired people. As soon as that happened, we we started hiring, and that's the the only reason we did is because they're giving us free money and we're going to spend it on growing our business. Cool. Okay, so tell me about Stitch Fix. You didn't want to hear that, did you? Well, I just have nothing. You hate I mean, We Trump. can talk about it for him. an entire podcast if you want, but I want to finish Stitch Fix. No. Onward. Sure. Okay, we won't get we won't get into politics. Stitch Fix. No, let's talk about Stitch Fix because um, the next thing in once we sort of get a feeling like okay, I really like this company, I kind of get an idea who else is in the business, then I want to get an idea of what do I think this thing is worth if it goes well. Okay, wait a second. What? <laughs> that was such a fast trans. Okay, so we've done thirty seconds of research. Mm -hmm. We know it's uh, well. No, no, I'm using the product for six months. Yeah, yeah. That's you've, research. You've been using the product. Right. And now what you've done is you've pulled up Stitch Fix on your Rule 1 Investing Toolbox, and you've got a whole bunch of financial numbers here. So that's the next step, right, is the numbers? Yep, the numbers. And as soon as I open it up... Now you're mad because I didn't want to talk about Trump. No, I'm not. Okay. Onward. Okay. All right. So the, the numbers are a problem when we're looking at our toolbox. 
because we're looking at long periods of time. Our toolbox is designed to look at numbers over a 10 year period of time or longer. Mm -hmm. And this company has only been around since July. Well, they, they posted a year of, of information in July of 2016. Okay. So 2016, July, 2017, July, and now we're into, you know, 2018 or something. We get, we've got a couple of years of, of stuff behind these guys. So immediately, I'm not an investor here. Because it's just too short of history. Right. Now, just because they went public not very long ago doesn't mean I couldn't be an investor because they might have been private for 20 years. Okay. And then all of that track record would be available to me or at least a lot of years of it they'd make available. Yeah. And um, I could get a much, much better idea of what's going on with this company during a recession. Is the product stable? How long is the cycle for a customer? Do they lose their customers quickly? Am I gonna drop out after a year? Am I done with them? Am I tired of the style that they're giving yeah. me? Yeah. Right. Those are all very, very important questions and I can't get the answer from looking at these numbers. They just don't have the track record. Okay. All right. Now, the next thing I'm going to look at, assuming they had the track record, now I'm done. Okay, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Like, we're done. Yeah, we're done with Stitch Fix. <laughs> okay. All right? But let's say it had a long track record. All right. Just All for right. fun. How would we come about finding the value of this But wait a second. Business? I think this is really interesting. So mm -hmm. here's a company that you use, mm -hmm. you're fascinated by. You find out they're public. You find out you can invest in them. You check them out. There's so many other companies doing the same kind of stuff. Somehow Stitch Fix seems to be doing it better. You look it up. There's only a couple years and you're just like, boom, I'm done. Well, I said that a little hastily. Oh. I'm not actually done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. True. I'm not done because there is a possibility. But that seems to me to be a promising start. It is a promising start. There's obviously a huge risk here. Yeah. We just don't know, right? And for that reason, probably I'm done. But there is this one little hesitation before I walk away. I kind of want to know, what are they worth if everything goes well? Okay. And then, what are they selling it for? Go for it. Because if it was super cheap, because there's press out there that says these guys are struggling and the stock price dropped. This is where I, I caught a Wall Street Journal article about this. And the stock price dropped $6 yesterday or something hmm. like from $24 down to $18 Whoa. in one day. Is that what it is right now? Let's see. It's oh, it's $24 right now. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure when I saw this or even if I did see it. Anyway, anyway so it's been, weird. there's been stuff happening and this is very confusing, this chart that we're looking at. Yeah, I don't see what I read in the Wall Street Journal. So that must have been a, like an old journal. I have to tell you the truth. I was sort of in the bathroom. Oh, God. And I grabbed, I grabbed the paper that was sitting there and just mm. went, oh, look at that. Stitch. Are you kidding me right now? No. I did that this morning. So, you picked up hmm. some newspaper of unknown date origin. Mm-hmm. And thought that it was current. I did, actually. Wall Street <laughs> Journal. And now what I'm seeing is that it's been a few days. My investing teacher, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Yeah, the price dropped from $29 down to 18 19 bucks, And then 
on uh, on February twenty second, it was at nineteen bucks, and then now over the last two weeks, it's gone back up. Oh, I missed. Okay, it. so it wasn't super old. No, it wasn't ridiculously right. old. But I was thinking, I was looking, I was looking at it today. It's going to be a big price drop. So here's something that is educational. Feel free to read in the bathroom. <laughs> you should see my my bathroom. <laughs> By the way, this is not Melissa's bathroom. This is my little cubicle. All right. I think so. <laughs> it's kind of loaded with Do you know what? Stuff. It's been so long since we've done our podcast, just the two of us, that we have so much stuff to say. It's I know. ridiculous. I know. We I'm should. just trying to get to the end of Stitch Fix. All right. All right. So Stitch Fix, then I want to get a quick idea of what I think it's worth. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go look at their cash flow. So I'm clicking on cash flow, and I see that it goes to 2017, and that's not late enough. I I know that they've got more information than July of 2017. So then I'm going to go to the SEC forms, and you can do this just going to their website, right? You're rolling. You're looking at the no, ceiling. No, I'm, I'm I I always do this. I don't look at what you are doing if we're together because the listeners can't see what you're doing. So right. I need to be certain that we're explaining things well enough. So you want to get the latest numbers. And the way to get the latest numbers is you go to a website that's got the latest numbers. You can go to the toolbox, right? Rule1investing.com. Or you can just go over to the Stitch Fix. Uh, actually, what you should do on any kind of retail company is you Google Investor Relations Stitch Fix. Okay. Because if you go to their website, they probably won't show you anything about investors. Oh, because I see. they're retail. You mean they have a, a different website? For yeah, investors. they'll have a different one. Okay. And so go Google investor relations and get the 10Q, which is the latest filing. That's the latest quarterly filing. Latest quarterly filing. And on our website, it comes out saying it came out on December 20th. So that's the latest one I can get. Okay. They'll have another one coming out every three months. So if it came out December 20th, another one's coming January, February, March 20th. So there'll be quite another soon. one due quite soon. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when you start to read stuff, you find out they just announced their latest quarter numbers and it's out now. So now you can get the absolute latest one, um, but it's just yesterday, I think. So this is a rough look at their numbers as of January 27th, 2018. I'm looking at the cash flow statement. On what? The 10Q? On the 10Q. Okay. So this is a six-month cash flow statement, so you have to remember to double everything oh. and maybe add a little because they're growing. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay, so there's a little, little yeah. windage going on here. Yeah. Windage. So walk me through owner earnings. Oh, God. No. I mean, I can do it if I have it in front of me. You do it if you have your book in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> plug Let's the book. It. Let's do plug it. the book. Let's do it next time. Okay, next time. But I'll do it fast this time. You so do don't it fast, expect to get all this. And then I'll do it next time. How about that? All right, fair enough. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at. Here's why. But wait, I got to explain everything you just said. Okay. So owner earnings is this evaluation or pricing method that Buffett uses, and Dad and I went through it, and it's. It can be complicated. Like Buffett hasn't really totally explained in great detail exactly how he put it together. He and that's because it changes for each company a little bit. Yeah, he explained it in like good detail, but not in great detail. So dad took it and taught it to me with as clear an equation that we could possibly come up with. And we put it in the book and we think it might be the first time anybody's put it out as a proper equation that people can really follow. I think so. I think it's the first time. And it's so good. 
You can use it to price a private company, a, a real estate purchase you're going to make. Um, anything that has cash flow, you could price using this yeah. structure. And so the way that I do it is I have it in front of me, the equation, the, the formula. Mm -hmm. And I just follow it step by step, which is why when he asks me to do it off the cuff, I cannot. But if I have my info in front of me, I can do it actually quite easily. It's um, kind of amazing, I have to say. So I'll do that next time. You guys can see how I do it. But this time, let's see how you do it. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Um, I have net income on this company of um, of $35 million, um, that's before that's net income before taxes okay <clears throat> now I can take after taxes or I can and then add back in the taxes but what the heck I'll just since they give it to me on their profit and loss statement I'm going to start with 35 million eight hundred seventy six thousand so this is net income before taxes okay okay I'm just gonna let you roll through this all right so we've got 35 let's call it 36 million dollars and then I'm looking for adding back into things that they didn't actually pay any cash for that they had expenses on and things that they um, paid cash for that they didn't write off. So there's going to be stuff in here. And one of those things is um, depreciation and amortization. And I'm seeing that line right here of five million. So I've got 36 plus five. Is That's 41. 41. And then I'm going to add back in accounts, changes in accounts payable, which is 11 million. You're going to add that in because mm -hmm, it's a positive so, number. So that's 52. 52. And then I'm going to add in any changes in accounts payable. And they don't, and they, excuse me, that yes, is accounts sir. payable 11. Oh. Accounts receivable. Let's see any changes in accounts receivable. So we're, we're, where are we at now? 50, 52. 52. And then I'm going to subtract all of the maintenance capital expenditures. And that is under investing, purchase property and equipment of $8 million. And I'm just going to take all of it off of there, although I think probably a lot of it is, is not maintenance. I'm just going to use all of it. Okay. So minus $8 million. So 44. 44 and times 10. 44 times 10. Oh, wait, we're only halfway through the year, so it's times 2. Oh, so 88. Okay, let's call it 90 because they're growing. 90. 90 times 10. 900. Is 900 million dollars. Okay. Would be a pretty really interesting deal on this company. You're saying that's for the entire company as mm -hmm. a whole. Mm -hmm. Okay. 900 million dollars. So I'm going to go over to uh, a website, mine in this case, which will tell me what the whole company is selling for in the market okay. today. So you've just off the cuff calculated owner earnings for the entire company, pricing the company at $900 million. Right. Now, just to be clear, we've got a couple other ways also of pricing companies, which helps to sort of figure out like what's crazy and what's normal. Right. And we sort of triangulate We triangulate it, yeah. So this is just one method. Right. And this method, owner earnings, says there's about $90 million, maybe very rough, of owner earnings, which is before income tax gets taken out and after all the kind of cash expenses. And um, and then you multiply by 10 because if you were able to buy this company for $900 million and they indeed gave you $90 million of owner earnings as a private investor, if you owned it all, that would be a 10% return mm -hmm. on the amount you paid for it, which is decent. You're making 10% a year cash. Pretty good, yeah. Pretty decent, right? So that's our starting point. 
of owner earnings. Now, we look up the market capitalization, which is the clever Wall Street name for what the is it priced at as of the entire company. Take all the shares of stock, which are currently selling for $23.93. There's 96,924,511 shares. And all that information is out there on almost any website that does this stuff. And then you multiply those two and it's done for you. They come out and say, oh, the market cap it, capitalization or market cap is 2.32 billion huh. or 2,320 million dollars. That's a lot more than 900, 900 million. million. It's two and a half times more. All right. Which is not too surprising because if we could buy it for 900 million, that would be a, that would be, a, I'd say a steal, not a steal, but a good deal. Right. Now, unfortunately, most companies are priced much higher than that in this market. But assuming we love this business and wanted to buy it, I would put this on my watch list and once I and then once I finished all my research, right? And then I would wait for it to go us for the the nation to go into a recession, which is coming up probably in the next couple of years. And then I would try to buy it for $900 million if I really liked it. Now, in order to do that, though, Danielle, I got to do one more thing. I've got to look out 10 years and say with a high degree of confidence that this company will be worth, it'll be more productive in 10 years than it is today. Yeah, I mean, you've you've skipped it. Well, you didn't skip it, but we already threw the company out because of that. Yeah, because I can't do that. <laughs> so. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to say with a high degree of confidence that this company will be more productive and in about 10 years. And that means if I can buy it at a really good price right now, I'll be able to sell it for a lot more in 10 years. And that's how we would look at buying a farm. That's how we'd look at buying a piece of real estate. Yeah. And that's why people buy real estate so easily is because you've got a lot of confidence it'll be worth more in, in 10 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we have to do the same thing here. We have to have that level of confidence, which is impossible. How could I possibly know that Stitch Fix is even going to be around in 10 years. Yeah, it's a bummer, these ones, because it totally could be. It totally, totally could be the winner. It totally could be such a home run. Yeah. Just like, remember when Netflix came out and they were mailing us the DVDs in the mail mm -hmm. and everyone was like, oh, you know, like we don't, Netflix is going to go down. Like all these new streaming services. Came, and they just completely changed their whole business. Yeah. Into streaming. Yeah. Boom. And now Netflix is Netflix. Or how, how about in the 1990s? You've got all these companies trying to be the online retailer and Amazon's going into books, right? Yeah. I mean, really, did you see Amazon taking over the world in 1990? I don't think so. So I didn't anyway. And neither did Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. It was an impossible thing to see. It's true. You couldn't do yeah. it. So we don't try to make those really hard decisions. We try to make easy decisions. Are people going to keep chewing gum? Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to change the kind of gum they chew? Probably not. Okay. Those are those are not hard. Those are not hard. Is Stitch Fix going to be around in 10 years? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. There's no way to know. And if you can't know that, then you can't put a price on the company. Yeah, I got you. Can't got do it. You. All right. So All that's right. Stitch Fix. Well done. Thank you. Really nice. Nice job going through it very quickly. All right. I think that's it then. So next week, we'll talk about Blue Apron. And um, I will do an owner earnings. Yeah, let's do an owner earnings on one that's been around a while. Oh, so not Blue maybe Apron. we could buy. Yeah, we'll do one on Blue Apron. 
I'm just really interested in Blue Apron and, and their whole rise and fall. And we can talk about a couple other ways of valuing the business, by the way. I, I ran the margin of safety analysis on this thing. On and, Stitch Fix? On Stitch Fix, and it comes out worth about, uh, let's see. Assuming it can grow at some astonishing rate, like let's say 20% a year. And for the next 10 years, it's just going to grow at 20%. Or, I mean, that's not impossible. It could be that company, you know, that does that. In which case, it's worth about 12 and we'd like to buy it for six. Dollars so, yeah. per share. Mm. And what is it now? 24? Now it's 24. Yeah, that's a little high. So you can see it's the, the margin of safety analysis is telling us an even cheaper price than the 10 cap. The 10 cap is telling us to buy it for 900 million. It has, um, what do we say, how many shares? The 10 cap is the method that uses owner the owner earnings. Has, it's all clear in the book, guys. I'm sorry. Like when we go through the, this is why we wrote the book, because when we go through the numbers on the podcast, it gets so gets confusing so, hard to follow. so quickly. Yeah. It's yeah. hard in an audio format. Well, there's 96 million shares in a $900 million. So you're looking at about eight bucks a share, eight or $9 a share. And so the 10 cap is saying buy it for eight or nine. The margin of safety is saying buy it for six. Yeah. And we have one more we could run. So these are a really good way to triangulate a value of a business and a price. And we'll get into that next time. Sounds good. All right. Till then. So should we do it again live next week? Yeah, we'll do I it live we next should. week. This you want to do it live next week? I think we should. We're here. Let's We're here. do it roughly the same time. Sure. Next week. Yeah, I'll post for you guys. So okay. check out um, Danielle Town on Instagram. I'm on Twitter and um, Oh, before we leave, here's where you are. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let's close the podcast off. Okay. So close off the podcast. Thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Okay. Time to go play. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything, and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.